Do you consider yourself a biblical Unitarian? Well, today is your day to call in with your question for me or your objection or your challenge. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on The Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call, 866-348-7884. Phone lines were jammed before our call screener even got in today as I looked up at my screen. So be patient. We'll get to as many as we can. Friday night, I debated Dr. Dale Tuggy, a philosophy professor, on the question, according to the Bible, is is the Father alone the true God? His position was yes. My position was no. That God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that the Son is also the true God, and the Spirit is also the true God, because there is only one God. And in Scripture, Father, Son, and Spirit are revealed as eternally God. So, uh, there are lots of folks that wanted to talk more afterwards. I, I talked to some briefly, but but really had to go. In fact, some really eager to talk. I said, look, I, I got to get out of here. It's late. Obviously, we answered as many questions as we could that night. Many of you couldn't be there. Many of you were sympathetic to Dr. Tuggy's viewpoint. So I said, great, let's, let's have a call-in day. Unless there was major, massive news that was going to call us away, this is what we're doing today. So it's just going to be a moment for our uh, for Howard to get your info, and then as soon as we have some names and places, I'll start to bring you on the air. I just want to talk in perfect candor and openness to you for a moment. It would be very easy for me as a Jewish believer in Jesus to try to argue for some other position, to somehow deny the deity of the Messiah or to come up with some kind of modalist formulation that, that God is not simultaneously Father, Son, and Spirit, or that he just revealed himself as Father, then Son, and Spirit, or whatever. It'd be easy, but I, I don't see Scripture saying that. On the flip side, I do not primarily relate to the creeds. It's not that I'm attacking the creeds, but I don't primarily relate. Why? Well, as a Jewish believer in Jesus, I, I grew up outside of the faith, I did not have the background of growing up in church where maybe creeds would have been confessed and things like that. I got saved in an Italian Pentecostal church where most of the folks came out of Catholicism. So there was no connection and that level at all. And then for me, I, I just tried to see what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And, and then interacted a lot with the Jewish community, pretty much 47 years consecutively, tried to discuss these things from that framework, now interacting some with Muslims. Remember, Muhammad wrongly thought the Trinity was Father, Son, and Mary. So it's not that I don't want to use certain phrases and terms. It's A, I don't relate primarily to those because I'm just looking at Scripture definitions. B, I'm primarily interacting with Jews and, and, and Muslims less so and trying to communicate in ways that would be understandable there. And, and then in terms of the debate, I'm not a philosophy professor, just like if we were debating what the Hebrew says, Dr. Tuggy couldn't do that. It's not his feel. I'm not, I'm not a philosopher. So I was not about to get into a metaphysical discussion. My question is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? 
And, and that's the ultimate question. So with that, phone lines are open. Now, again, if you're calling about any other subject that you just want to ask me about, I won't take the call. So if some of you get on the air and it's another subject, we'll have to move on to someone else. All right. Uh, we start in Florida with Aaron. Welcome to The Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hello. How are you? Hello. Sir? Yes. Yeah, I'm Aaron from Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you for taking my call. Go ahead. Yeah, as a biblical Unitarian myself, I worship Jesus per Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, because God, the Father, has exalted Jesus to his glory. And in Revelation 5, it also says, it tells us why we worship Jesus, because he was slain. And uh, per Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we worship God because he created all things, and by his will they were created. Aaron, do you worship God as the Redeemer? I do. Does it say so in Revelation 4? It doesn't. All right, so you don't limit your, your worship to just what's written in Revelation 4. Why are you telling me that I have to limit my worship of the Son, she's just what's written in another verse. Why can't I worship oh, him based that. on the full? That's why can I can I worship him based on the full revelation of Scripture? Well, here's what was. I'm going to go to that uh, to that, sir. Where in the Bible does it say the reason we ought to worship Jesus? Tell me where it says that he because he's God. Well, John five that all, all men things. should. John five that all men should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. There you have it. But the context doesn't say that because he's God. That all men should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Yeah, but the context... How do you honor honor the Father? That uh, that verse actually, within the context of uh, the Son being given authority by the Father. But it says we should honor him just as we honor the Father. Uh, So, so Aaron, Aaron, how many... You worship Jesus as a God, correct? Okay, let's stay with uh, chapter 5, verse uh, chapter uh, no, 5. No, 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 Aaron, in, in Revelation 5, the identical worship is given to the Lamb and to God at the end of the chapter. It's to the Lamb and to him who sits on the throne. The identical worship is given to both. Do you give the identical worship to both as they did in Revelation 5? There is worship, but they're not equal worship. They're different types of worship. Whoa, 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 whoa hang on. Revelation That's, tells us. Whoa, 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 whoa. Revelation tells whoa. us. All right, so, so Aaron, ha- hang on. Right, Aaron, hang on, hang on. Aaron, no, 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 you no, hang on. Okay, t- tell you what, sure. got to put you on hold, okay? Because, listen, I'm giving you, I'm giving all of you, quote, biblical Unitarians, I don't believe you're biblical Unitarians because the Bible is against your position, and it's ultimately not Unitarian. You end up with, with two gods. However, if I ask you to please hold on, you have to hold on. We're, we're giving you airtime to raise your voice and to give your, your opinion, okay? But you're, you're going to have to do it in a way that is fair to our listeners. All right, so Revelation 5, it says this at the end of the chapter. They said with a loud voice, this is what all creation, the Lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, verse 13. And, and, and by the way, it doesn't even say why there, just that he was slaughtered and this. Now, verse 13, I heard every creature, so this is every created being, the Lamb is not created. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb 
forever and ever. So Aaron, right there, they get the identical worship. There is no distinction being made in the worship they receive. Do you get well, identical that, worship? That's not correct. I just read it to you, sir. I thought yeah, you were biblical. You're taking it out of context. I'm not taking anything out of context. Yes, Read you are. it a trillion times over. What did I take out of context? If you, if you merely look at that, yeah. I mean, you can take, you can uh, say whatever you want to say. Uh, can you say with Thomas to Jesus, my Lord and my God? No, hold, hold on. Remember, let, let's say with the verse. Let's well, well no, Aaron, you're, you're, ignoring, you're ignoring what the no, verse you, says. You are I read it to you. I read it to Sir, you, Aaron. You are ignoring the context. Aaron, the context there is no. Uh, the all, lamb. Right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, I hope the next call does better than this. I read a scripture in context. I'm taking it out of context. I quote Jesus saying, all men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. It doesn't mean that. <clears throat> all right, hopefully the next call will be better. We'll have some optimism. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to San Antonio. Omar, you're on the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, I just want to say thank you for allowing the Biblical Unitarian people to speak, because as as you, you may or may not know, uh, Biblical Unitarians have been, you know, shunned, uh, you know, not given a platform to speak until now. And uh, and I, you can go from Isaac Newton. He was a Biblical Unitarian. He was the reason why I I started thinking about this. Yeah. And not just like closing my eyes and stuff. And, hey, uh, hey Omar, my yeah, let, let, me, yeah, let, let me just say this. Uh, by all means, I'm giving you guys a platform to air your views, and we'll do our best to get the debate out with Dr. Tuggy, publicize that as widely as possible. But I believe, okay. just to be clear, this is a very dangerous error and completely unbiblical and a slap I in the face that. of the eternal okay. son. So with all respect to you, sir, and your sincerity— I, I just want that known. So okay. in other words, it's not like, hey, let's give right. it a hearing. I, my I totally goal understand. is to give you your opportunity to challenge me and let me do my best to expose, but we'll both have at it. But thank you for your gracious attitude, Omar. That's very polite of you. Okay. And by all means, so so your argument or point or challenge, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, and uh, I, I would just, just one quick comment. I think you should have let the other gentleman speak, but I know he was getting kind of, you know, shouting. Well, not, not but, just that. The phone lines um, were jammed before the show right. started. If I give everybody okay, that so opportunity quickly. and they're belligerent and will not even acknowledge Scripture, right. then we'll have one okay. long, nasty call, and no, and you'll never even get on the line. Okay, so quickly, uh, you know, I love the commentaries from uh, from a lot of Catholic Bibles, a New American Bible, the Jerusalem Bible. I'm reading a lot of commentaries, and, you know, they don't always say the same thing, but in this, the Jerusalem Bible, Psalm 45, excuse me, Psalm 45, it says, Your throne, O God. I'm reading in the commentary, it says, In the Bible, the title God is given to the angels, Psalm 85, to the leaders and judges. I guess it's Psalm 58, 1, to Moses, Exodus 14, 16, Exodus 4, 16, Exodus 7, 1. We go to Samuel, First Samuel twenty-eight, thirteen, Last of David, Zechariah twelve, eight, and I know as uh, your your background is is a uh, is like in the, in Judaism, and I, I'm and you should be all aware that the title God is referred to in in the, in the Bible in the Hebrew Bible like that. So yeah, that, so that's actually yeah, that's actually a mi- yeah. Let me correct that; it's a misnomer. Okay. Number one, the word Elohim. Omar, let me, let me, I I know that. I'm going to correct what was just said, okay? Okay. Number one, and and anyone checking the Hebrew Bible can see this, it's misleading to say God. Better to say the word Elohim, 
can be used. The word Elohim can mean gods, plural as in idols. It can refer to the angels as divine beings. In some cases, it can refer to earthly judges in all probability. Okay. And it can refer to God, the one and only God with a capital G. However, say with, with Moses, it's that you'll be as a God to Pharaoh. Or in Zechariah 12, the people be like God. Nowhere ever under any circumstance, sir, is that use of Elohim ever an object of worship unless it's the one true God. Never could anyone say my God, as Thomas says in John 20, 28. Never, never, ever, ever. The way the New Testament refers to Jesus as God is 100% different than, say, calling Satan the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. So very, very misleading. I, I hope you'll see that and understand it. Thanks. We'll be right back. God of light, hear our cry. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You see, friends, when, when I express love, worship, adoration for Jesus, my heart's not divided between Jesus and God. It's God only. It's God only. There's not another God I worship or another one called God that I worship. 866-342. Let me just put the, read this for you, and if you're watching, you can see it. Akai, the, the first graphic. So some Twitter exchange I had with Professor Tuggy yesterday. I said, Dr. Tuggy, please clarify. In the debate, you acknowledge that Jesus is called God, capital G or small g, a number of times in the New Testament, correctly by Thomas in John 20, 28. When he says to the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God, Thomas says, now you believe that he is worshiped and adored and that prayer can be offered to him. Is that correct? Dr. Tuggy said, I concede for the sake of argument that he's called God, capital G, maybe several times, although I think the only really clear case is Hebrews 1. As for your last two questions, yes to both. On basis of New Testament, I deny that only someone who is God himself can be worshipped. Explicit that exalted Jesus can be too. I wrote back, all clear. My two gods statement about your beliefs was perfectly fair. And you believe, in short, you believe Jesus can rightly be called God, Worshipped and prayed to, but he's not the eternal creator God. You can have that, sir. I'll stick with monotheism. Only one has my total devotion. Then that led to this second graphic. He said, no, with respect, it was not fair, but was at best misleading. As my parable makes clear, he had posted that. My theology has exactly one God, one God, small g, capital G, but exactly two objects of religious worship, God and his son. Not a single son, father who did and didn't die. Still, in your sentence, starting with, in short, yes, you are basically getting me right here. Let me read this again from Dr. Tucky himself. Still, in your sentence, starting with, in short, yes, you are basically getting me right here. So that led to this. I then said, perfect. I retweeted his statement. Perfect. To repeat to all, Dr. Tuggy believes Jesus can rightly be called God can be worshipped and adored, and can be prayed to. That's why I say he believes in two gods. For me, only one is the object of my worship and devotion, one God, eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm happy to say one being and three divine persons. I just was not going to get into that type of terminology in a debate because I was not getting into a philosophical debate about the essence of God's triunity, but rather the question is the Father alone, the true God in Scripture, 
argument, no. Son clearly is also identified as God, eternal creator, and the Spirit as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Anthony in Atlanta. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Yes, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much. For, you'll be worn out by the end of two hours. My question is simply this, to understand you. Do you agree with Dr. White that God is one what in three who's? And if so, where is God called a what in Scripture? I, I wouldn't say it like that, personally. Why not? Hmm, why not? Only, only because what could be misunderstood. Now, if Dr. White was here, he'd articulate himself with perfect clarity, but that's hmm. he thinks more theologically, more familiar with the creeds, I think more exegetically. He's an exegete as well and in terms of interaction with Jewish community. Uh, God, though, is a what in terms of, of God. If I say, what is a God, what is the biblical God, then I define him personally. He is the creator, etc. But those just aren't my words. So I'm sure you express yourself one way, Dr. Tuggy, another way, other biblical Unitarians yet another way. I would say, again, if I had to define one being... Yep in three persons, but I find person falls short because that could be associated with humanity, and I don't mean it in that sense. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes, well, that's a little clearer, but you and I use pronouns in our language all the time without misunderstanding. You call God a he, and you call Jesus a he, and a him, and a his. Those are singular personal pronouns. I understand those to be single persons. So you wind up implying three he's in one he, because you refer to each one of the three as he, and you refer to the triune God as he. That's yeah, very why, confusing but, language-wise. Well, well, why worry about that? Why not just go with Scripture? We baptize <laughs> in the name of the Father, one name, but it's the Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes. Look, there are people that deduce from that Jesus-only doctrine, that Jesus is the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and therefore they embrace a oneness theology. That, to me, yes. is, is unbiblical reason. I agree. Yeah, so... so I, yes. I, that's why, again, I was reluctant to get into a terminological debate because I'm not a philosopher and, and, yes. and, and that Dr. Tuggy is going to go in that direction. But my question, would you agree with me, sir, that the big mm-hmm. issue is not how we're communicating this, but what scripture says? Well, that's the same thing. We're talking about scripture. There's no difference in the, in your proposition there. We're both talking about human language in scripture and yep. human language anywhere else you like. There's no such thing as non-human language. Oh, oh okay. What is so, non-human language? But but sir, so God fits in all of our human communication without a problem. The fact that of course that because God he wrote scripture ex- for us. No 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 <laughs> yeah. no. So so hang on. So okay. I can describe God in perfectly human terms, and everything should be perfectly understandable. In biblical terms, yes. That's All what right, the so explain to me how God is seen and not seen. God is not, nobody's seen God face to face, apparently. That's what the text says. But, but others said they saw God. You know that. Others said they saw God face to face. So which yes. do I believe? Which verse in the Bible do I believe? Uh, you, uh, so you maybe the distinction. <laughs> All right, you work but, it out. <laughs> I work it out because, because yes. the Son reveals the Father. The Son yes. is seen, so they saw God face to face, but the Father is unseen, so they didn't see God. They saw God, but they didn't see God. I, I, re- okay. I resolved them just using Scripture. No problem. But resolve the word only for me, though. Since we're talking words, what does only mean? Only true God. What does that mean? That he's God and not the idols, not the other false gods, etc. Yes. 
But only excludes everybody else, doesn't it? Every, every other claimant of God, yes. But it doesn't yes. exclude the one who himself is, is God. But, but sir, let, let, me, let me ask this, no. and again, with, with all respect, and I appreciate your tone, and... and no, that's and, fine, you're doing right, very obviously, well. Obviously, right, you and I could go well. with this for many hours, but when yes. I see in Revelation 22, it mm-hmm. says the throne of God and of the Lamb are in yes. the New Jerusalem. So there's one yes. throne for God and the Lamb. So is the Lamb sitting yes. on God's lap or next to each other? How does yes. that work? That's question one. And then two... Speaking of the two, his servants will see his face and serve him. And you know yes. the logical antecedent there is God and the Lamb. That would violate your your usage there unless God is triune. No, I don't think that's right because they're using pronouns differently in a Hebrew mindset than you are. So you're reading your English grammar oh. into Hebrew. There's no need for that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. No we that. just explained it then. So it's it's the English mindset that's getting in trouble. Let's just think biblically Absolutely. then. Absolutely. All right, now, great. language doesn't always work the same. Of course it doesn't work the same. You've got to okay. think of the Hebrew. Perfect. I just did. Perfect. So God is complex in his unity. All right. Hey, fair enough. Let's think biblically, Hebraically. Let's not get caught up in an English battle. So God and the Lamb, Revelation 22, his servants see him, worship him. Why? Because one God, God and the Lamb, one God. Perfect. Thank you. That, that was wonderful. Very, very helpful. Much appreciated. 866 Three for truth. Uh, let's go to Andrew in Austin, Texas. You are on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Byrne. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate your spirit and uh, sharing your knowledge uh, with the world. Um, I have uh, first a clarifying question uh, before I get into my true question, just to see if this is still your stance or if you wanted to clarify uh, yeah, yourself yeah. a little more. Um, uh, so you had stated in the debate that the Son of God did not die, or God the Son did not die. Yeah, so, so here's the... standby. Yeah, let me, let me clarify. clarify. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Here was the issue. Death is a physical thing. Did the Son of God die on the cross? Yes, yes, of, of course. Did God in his essence cease to exist? No, nor, nor do I believe it happens uh-huh. to any human spirit. So let, yeah. let's say uh, when your great-grandfather died however many generations back, however many years ago. I, I do not believe that his spirit ceased to exist at that point. His spirit either went to be with God or was separated from God. You may yeah. believe in conditional immortality, that the spirit is asleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a, yeah, okay. well, yeah. Right, so yeah. that, that's yeah. my difference. In other words, the Son of God experienced death like any human being would experience death. As it says in 1 okay. Corinthians 2, they crucified the Lord of glory. That's, okay, yeah, 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 okay, that's perfect. Of a man. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so this is a clarifying question before my true question. So yeah, yeah, what yeah. you're saying now is that the Son of God did actually die. Because death is physical. But I, I okay, said perfect, it that way perfect, over perfect. Yeah, but, but I Andrew, yeah, I said yeah. it over and again yeah. in the debate yeah. that the death was physical. Right, right. It was when uh-huh. pressed to clarify. Okay, tell you what. Yeah, thank ask you. your yeah, question. I, 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 I may yeah, have to perfect. answer on the other side of the break, but you got time to ask your question now. Go for it, please. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, Paul, I'm not getting into a metaphysical conversation, but rather just strictly biblical in a common sense yeah. uh, sort of way. There is a distinction, and uh, Paul makes it uh, between uh, the body and the soul and the spirit. Um, so we could say that Jesus in the physical body died. So are, 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 are you then implying first, are you implying that the soul or the spirit of Jesus was God? God 
and Jesus, right? If we're speaking, excuse me, when we speak of the Son and we speak of Jesus, we're speaking of two related but different things. The Son was eternally God, all right? He no, says no, specifically yeah. he came down from heaven. He came from Perfect. the Father. He yeah. was returning to the Father. And he was yeah. also fully human, the man Christ yeah. Jesus. So Jesus right. so, was born at a certain point in time, all right? But the Son yeah. eternally existed. So in body, right. soul, spirit, Jesus was fully God and fully man. That, that would be the definition of the, of the incarnation. So it's fully human yeah. and fully God simultaneously. How okay. that works out in every last can I aspect. Cla- uh, yeah. Can I clarify my question after the break, please? Sure thing. You've got it. All right, friends, phone lines are jammed, but keep trying. We'll do our best to be fair and get to as many as possible. If I only had one caller, we'd talk longer, but I'm doing my best to get to as many calls as possible on this Unitarian call-in day. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. This is Unitarian Call-In Day, not Unitarian Universalists, but those who call themselves Biblical Unitarians who deny the deity of the Son, who deny God's triunity, debated a Biblical Unitarian at his initiative this past Friday night, Dr. Dale Tuggy. That video, if it's not on our website and YouTube channel, already should be sometime today. You can watch the full debate as we had adequate time to go back and forth with one another. And if you have a question for me specifically relating to this, and really I want to take calls from those who agree with Dr. Tuggy, 866-348-7884. So we go to Andrew in Austin, Texas. So get right to your question, sir, as we're carrying on from back after the break. Yeah, sure. And you even brought up John three thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended. No, from I, I didn't bring. Actually, I didn't bring that up. I was quoting. Okay, other passages. that's fine. So yeah. here, so here we have Jesus stating his personal identity. He says he's saying that I came down from heaven. I, I assume that you read that literally, right? Well, he says he came from God, was returning to God. We know how he went well, back no, 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 to God. In, in John yeah, but Andrew, your your question, sir, your 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 clarifying question. Please just get yeah, to the question. Okay. I want to be fair to other callers. Right. So, so uh, in in First Corinthians fifteen, Paul says that after resurrection we gain a spiritual body, and so here we have Jesus after uh, after the resurrection in Revelation one eighteen saying, "I died, but behold, now I live forevermore." Yes. Then in Revelation three twelve, this resurrected person, not in his, he's not physical body anymore. He right. says, "The one who is victorious, I will make a temple in the pillar of my God." So he's saying he has a God. So the question is... Right, right. So you got like four questions there. Real quick, your specific question. I'm trying to be fair to other callers. How does the resurrected personal identity of Jesus Christ state that he has a God? The incarnation. It's simple. That's like a basic, basic question. Because Jesus... Is resurrected, so he literally, who, who died? Does he have a resurrected, well, he has a resurrected body, a resurrected body. When someone dies, their body dies, we say they die. Even though Christians believe that person's soul slash spirit went to be with the Lord, they say they die. Well, because the body died. What gets resurrected? The body gets resurrected. 
So we await our resurrected bodies spiritually in heaven. So it is, you die physically, you rise physically. And Jesus remains our mediator. So the risen son is, as Braxton pointed out, yes, exactly, the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. That continues. Yes, that's why he could say, I'm going back to my God in John 20. And then immediately after that, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus commends him for it. So now you believe. If you can say that Jesus is your God, as Thomas did, and as the New Testament explicitly calls him God in a number of of occasions, and in a way that can only refer to the eternal deity. But if he's your God, then you have, unless you believe what I believe, you have two gods. All right? You have the Father as your God and Jesus as your God. I have one God. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go back to Atlanta. Carlos, welcome to the line of fire. Thanks for taking my call and talking to me again. You bet. Uh, First, I want to thank you for speaking out against the leading cause of death in this country, abortion. This is a subject, as you well know, many pastor teachers continue to be silent on. So I want to commend you on that. Well, th- thank you, sir. And I assume that you speak at, at that as well. So thank you for your stand. No, thank you. Okay, uh, just quickly, I want to echo the sentiments of all the other BUs, biblical Unitarians out there. And uh, thank you for allowing this platform because uh, we're sort of, you know, trying to sneak uh, our head in the door, as they say. So quickly, just a couple of comments, and then I'll get to my question. In First Chronicles 29, the, uh, Solomon actually sits on the throne of Yahweh and is worshipped alongside Yahweh. Same in Daniel 7, the saints of the Most High God are worshipped alongside the Ancient of Days. In Revelation 3, Christians are said to sit on the throne with the Father and the Son, and in that same chapter, in verse 9, they are all worshipped. My question is, related to worship, if one has to be God to be worshipped and prayed to, how do you understand Isaiah forty-five fourteen, where the nations, in the, obviously in the future, will both not just worship, but also pray to Israel, and you can check the uh, Hebrew on that and also the Greek. Thank you. Yeah, great, great questions. And and thank you for your, for your, whoops, I guess he just hung up having asked that. Okay, Carlos, so you're not there. Uh, first, thank you for your gracious spirit and your humility in presenting things. Much appreciated. Thank you for your questions that are very fair questions and that are thoughtful questions. So much appreciated on all those points. And again, yes, I'm giving, quote, biblically Unitarians, but I don't believe you're biblical right? Uh, giving you a platform, but my goal is to expose error. My goal is not to get people to consider your viewpoint, but to allow you to challenge me in, in the presence of my hearers. And my goal is to expose the error and to call you to recognize the glorious eternal son who with his father created the universe. Remember Isaiah 44 says that when he created, there was no one with him. He created by himself. And yet the new Testament explicitly on several occasions says that he created with and through his son who was before all things and through whom all things hold together. Okay. So a a few things, Daniel seven, the end of the chapter, I do not believe that a Palach in Aramaic, that that refers to the word for worship there refers to the saints. I believe it is saying that it goes back to him, 
namely the Son of Man, to whom all dominion and authority is given. That's the first thing. Second thing, yes, the throne of Yahweh can mean the throne that he gives. So we have to rightly understand that in context. But for sure, there are verbs like avad, to serve, that can be used both for the, the king and God. Hishtachavad, to do obeisance to, that can be used for both the king and God, even an earthly king, absolutely. And when people bow down and worship Jesus in the Gospels, it does not necessarily mean that they worshiped him as God, just that they did obeisance to him. Look, I've been in India and had Hindus fall at my feet and and kiss my feet because they think I'm a holy man because I just spoke at some rally. It's the most offensive thing to see. You know, it's heartbreaking to see them do that. But yes, in a biblical context, you could do it. You could bow down before a king, and it didn't mean you were worshiping him as God. So there is no question whatsoever that there is certain worship, certain adoration that can be given to someone less than eternal God. But there is a particular type of worship adoration that belongs to him alone because he will give his glory to no other, nor can anyone else be worshiped as God. That's the key thing. So when the New Testament presents Jesus as the co-creator, when Hebrews 1 explicitly speaking of the past in the Hebrew, in the Greek, Okay, the Hebrew Psalm 102 in the Greek Septuagint and then quoted in, in, in Hebrews 1. When it speaks of him in the beginning of old, creating the heavens and the earth, it's talking about the earthly creation, not some alleged new future creation. And that creation will wear out, which this physical earthly creation, it will wear out. But as for the sun, his years endure. And when he's called God and all the angels are called to worship him as God, ah, then then there's no possibility. Either he is eternal deity or we're guilty of polytheism or idolatry or something else like that. So as far as Israel and the nations bowing down before Israel and supplicating Israel, so the same way you can pray to, in Hebrew, you could supplicate, right? So I can supplicate God, I can supplicate individuals. So excellent parallel to point out, Carlos, but again, do you supplicate Israel as you supplicate God. For example, John 14, where Jesus says, pray to the Father, but then he says, if you ask me anything, I'll do it. That's only what God can do. Or or Stephen saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's a divine act. A, A human being can't do that. So it's the nature of the prayer. It's the nature of the worship. I'm really disappointed that the first caller refused to see that at the end of Revelation 5, the identical worship goes up to God, all praise, honor, glory, dominion, power, to to God and to the Lamb. Unless the Lamb is eternal deity, that's that's blasphemous. And remember John 8, 58, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, not I was or, or I've always existed in the mind of God, but before Abraham was, I am, they pick up stones to stone him. Why the offense? All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Brandon in Missouri. Thanks so much for calling the line of fire. No, oh, thanks for taking my call. I'd like to ask a few questions. Um, or I mean, a question about the the incarnation, the incarnation theory. Yeah. As I understand you, um, you see it that the logos, the logos, the Son of God, uh, was the soul or spirit uh, in union with the body of Christ. And no, 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 two... no, 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 uh, uh-uh. no. No, no, that would mean that his soul and spirit wasn't human. He was fully right, human, okay. 
So body, yeah. soul, spirit, fully human and fully divine, clothed in flesh. How exactly that works itself out that he's fully human and fully divine. I can more explain that than I can explain a lot of medical issues because I don't know how everything works, but that's what's clearly revealed. In other words, the word was eternal. What, what God was, the word was, as many Greek scholars say, is the best way to understand the end of, of John 1, 1, through whom everything was created and who is the life and light of all men. That word literally became flesh. In other words, became human being and tabernacled among us. Okay, so you wouldn't want to speculate on whether there was a, a combination, like a human soul plus the logos together. You, would, you just wouldn't want to speculate on that. Well, it would seem so, but how does it work? I mean, I, I don't want to go beyond Scripture, nor do I think Scripture allows us to. I think it's kind of foolish. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but that which is open and revealed is to us, in this case, to, to obey the words of the Torah given to Israel. So there are many secret things about God and his, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. His, his, he's beyond us in so many ways. But what is clear is that this eternal word through whom the universe was created, who existed in the beginning, so Genesis 1-1, same language, who's before all things and in him all things hold together, that that one, he, became flesh. Absolutely clear. So the, the becoming flesh, you'd, you'd rather not... like. A, I'm I'm interested because I'm I, I'm trying to be a student of of incarnation theories and and yeah. obviously of all the ancient heresies you know Apollinarianism and and Nestorianism and all the all the various ones and not fall into that um, which is what draws me towards biblical Unitarianism is because you you can avoid the whole that whole problem. Whoa, whoa, that was loud music there. Hey, hey, Brandon, uh, quick yeah. comment. Better to ask Dr. White, who's who's more of a theologian. A question like that, but please don't run from the biblical witness into a hopeless pit where you have to deny verse after verse after verse that clearly speaks of the eternal nature of the Son. It's the line of fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yes, so so just one more quick word, Brandon. Don't abandon the explicit testimony of Scripture that the Son is eternal, that the Son is worshipped as God, that the Son is called God, our God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah, that He absolutely preexisted and enjoyed glory with the Father before the world began, John 17, 5. That Isaiah saw him, Yahweh, in Isaiah 6, according to John 12. That uh, John 12, which explicitly quotes Isaiah 53, the one who died on the cross for us, and quotes I- Isaiah, the sixth chapter as well, when, when Isaiah saw his glory. That's Yahweh there in, in Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Don't deny the explicit testimony of Psalm 102, don't deny the explicit testimony of the end of Revelation that, that it's one God, referred to as God and the Lamb, whom we worship in his face, biblical language that we see. As, as Anthony from, from Atlanta said, yeah, let's not think English, let's think biblically. Perfect. Done. So don't, don't try to squeeze something in your own brain. Bow down and worship based on what Scripture says and then God can give insight and revelation. And again, for theological precision, there are others much, much better qualified to do that than me. That's not my area of specialization. All right, we go to Idaho Christian. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. And uh, thank you for having me on the 
çöldü. You bet. Um, I, so, uh, so I, I wanted to uh, specify, I don't exactly agree with Mr. Tuggy. I am more akin to oneness than Unitarianism. Uh, but I did have a, a question for you that I find, and I, there are actually two. The first one is... Yeah, just got to go with um, one. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, so it seems to me like there are way too many places in the Bible where the three persons, as a Trinitarian would define them, are confused with each other, which should never happen. Now, I understand... Yeah, give me one example. God... Yeah, give me uh, one so example. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says we have one Lord and one God, and it explains, right, that God the Father and Lord is the Son. Yet right. in John 20, 28, it says my Lord and my God, which There's from no a oneness perspective makes sense. There's no confusion. No, no, it makes no sense from a oneness perspective. And again, in fairness to those in sympathy with Dr. Tuggy, I'm, I'm going to jump in here quickly so they, they can get on the, the air. That's, that's what the purpose was. It makes perfect sense. So... The Father is Lord, but is primarily identified as God in the New Testament. The, the Son is God, but is primarily identified as Lord in the New Testament in terms of function and role and revelation. Remember, if you just said to a first century Jew, well, God came down on earth, what does that mean? Uh, you'd have to use other terms like the Memra, the word of the Lord walked among us. Oh, or the Shekhinah, the presence of the, uh, the presence, manifest presence of God was among us. Th- things like that, they could better understand. If you said God came down, does it mean like in Greek mythology that he walked around here and he's no longer enthroned in heaven? No. We believe in one God who at one and the same time sits enthroned in heaven, fills the universe by his presence, and manifests himself through his Son. He is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Hence verses like uh, John fifteen twenty six that I quoted in the debate where, where the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness, the Spirit teaches, the Spirit's not just a power, clearly a person as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Josh in Indianapolis. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello, hey, I'll jump right into it. So it's not a, maybe a direct question, but rather I'd like to plant some flags kind of uh, on this discussion as a whole. And so my question would be, where do you find the line between inspiration uh, of the text and then of the specific Trinity doctrine? Um, so, so my thought would be that, you know, I think what's interesting about the debate with you and Dr. Tuggy is that you both take a very similar evangelical approach to the text uh, with the nuance for the semantic right, the uh, Semitic writing, Second Temple Judaistic thought. Uh, but you come up with different explanations for how to best define that inspired text. So I'm just curious, do you see Trinitarian uh, thought as inspired in itself or as the best explanation of that inspired text? Yeah, the best explanation of the inspired text. In in other words, although I appreciate church formulations over the centuries, I know even, for example, in Nicaea, there there was a a mixture, you know, Emperor Constantine and and anti-Semitism on his end and wanting the church to be separate from the Jewish calendar with Passover, Easter, and things like that. So I don't look at any of these as perfect. I look at Scripture as perfect. So, yeah, to, to me... What I'm going to fight over is the explicit witness of Scripture. What I'm going to fight over is exegeting the text. And I would absolutely not claim inspiration for a later formulation. I would say that's the best formulation that we've come up with or the best articulation, something like that. But what's fully and totally inspired is what's written, period. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting. I think that, you know, Unitarianism, 
to take the text in the same way that you do uh, and then apply different interpretive paradigms, you know, interpreting many of these texts through something like a Daniel 7 where God is giving to the Son of Man glory and honor and power. Um, and, and so it just seems like it's a really interesting thought then that we can consider Trinitarianism of its own accord, Unitarianism of its own accord, and even various Trinity theories, various Unitarian, yeah. even like oneness. But then it's, it's upon each each believer to consider those in their own terms and find which well, one. Yeah, look, uh, Josh, from, yeah. from day one, my debate has been with the rabbinic community, Jewish community, that tells me I'm wrong, and we're using the Hebrew Bible. So we're always starting with the text. You know, if you've got a liberal that doesn't even believe the Scripture is inspired, that's a whole other thing. But, Josh, here's my paradigm. When I see a position hopelessly break down on certain verses, like Hebrews 1, the so-called Unitarian exegesis that is, is hopeless, impossible, or John 20, 28, or John 1, 1 through 14, or Colossians 1, or some other key passages, just Philippians 2. To me, they, they completely break down and, and crash on the rocks of self-destruction. Then I can't entertain the possibility of it. So if someone could show me something in my, quote, system where that happened, that would cause a serious shock. And that's why I've evaluated things for decades. That's why I went to all secular universities and just learned from people who didn't agree with me. So I've been challenged pretty much every day to this day for 47 plus years and, and welcome the, the challenge. But that, that's what I say to everybody listening that's in Dr. Tuggy's camp or, or Sir Anthony Buzzard's camp or others, as, as he called earlier and debated them previously. And, and uh, you call yourself a biblical Unitarian. Just, just be honest with some of these passages. They, they don't work. Your interpretation of them doesn't work. Because the system doesn't work. It's just to be candid. All right. Let me try to get to another call or two. Uh, Solomon in California, jump right in. Time is short. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Um, okay. I've been reading Deuteronomy 18. Can you hear me, Dr. Brown? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So I, I disagree with Dr. Tuggy on this one thing. I do think it's extremely important to understand who God is. I, I think you agree with that. Um in Deuteronomy 18, um, you know, Moses talks about this future prophet. We know it's Jesus, that he's going to speak the commandments of God. God's going to put words in his mouth, and those that don't hearken unto this prophet, will God will require it of them. So then we go to John chapter 3, and John the Baptist speaking says, Listen, whoever has believed, his, uh, believed him has set to his uh, seal that God is true. Believe the testimony of Jesus. John the Baptist says he has the Spirit of God without measure, he speaks the words of God, and that whoever doesn't believe him has the wrath of God abiding on him. So then right, we go so, to John So your 7. question, we don't have time for all the verses, I'm, I apologize. Okay, so then, if that's the case, that Jesus is speaking the commandments of God in John seventeen three, when he says that the Father alone is the true God, that's an eternal life statement. Why would Jesus, being the, the representative of God, coming to speak for God, and he's giving us the, the formula for eternal life. Why would he leave out the Trinity or that, the, that himself and the, the Spirit are part of this one yeah, yeah. God? So, so number, number one, he's already said he's, he's one with the Father in John 10. Number two, in John's Gospel, John 1 has already said what God was, the Word was. Already told us the one same God, explicitly, in, in John the first chapter. In John the eighth chapter, he's identified himself explicitly with Yahweh, the ego ami, the one who says, I am, I am he. And Isaiah 40 through 48, before Abraham was, I am. He's already done that. And then at the end, he's worshiped as God. So unless you can say to Jesus, my Lord and my God, can you say what Thomas said? Because Jesus commends him for it. It says, because you've believed. Now, now you believe because you've seen. Now you believe. So can you shout out with Thomas to Jesus, my Lord and my God? 
Well, if so, then you have two gods. I have one God only. There's only one that I can call my God, not the God of this age, Satan, or your, your stomach is your God or something like that, okay? No, no, there's only one you can call my God and worship as God, unless you have multiple gods, which, which I don't. And I claim biblical Unitarians do. You end up with, with two gods. So he's been explicit. He did not exclude himself. Did he call the Father the only true God? Yes, but he's one with the Father. So, so why is there a problem there? And then, uh, according to the best textual reading of Jude 4, uh, even the New King James breaks with the King James here in virtually all modern translations, speak of Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. So our only sovereign and master. So unless you say that the Father can't be our sovereign and master because this is only Jesus, then that's not what it means. Or in the Psalms, when it says God alone works wonders, but then it says that Jesus works wonders, it doesn't mean God alone, unless what Jesus says, the Father's in me. Didn't he say that also? John 14, the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. So I take everything he says seriously. I take John 1 seriously, that the eternal word with God in the beginning, yet himself God through whom the universe was created, became flesh. I take that seriously. I take it seriously. When Jesus said he came from the Father's returning to the Father, I take him seriously when he says, before Abraham was, I am. I take him seriously when he says he's one with the Father. I take him seriously when he says the Father's in him and he's in the Father. And I take Thomas seriously when he says, my Lord and my God. John 17, 3. Amen. Absolutely. Doesn't exclude the Son. God forbid. He's one with the Father. My friends, we're out of time. Maybe we'll do this again in a future week. But please open your hearts to the truth.